Hello and welcome to the MGMA Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams, Senior Editor at MGMA, and thank you for listening. Today we're going to examine the topic, A Cultural Blueprint for Successful Physician Recruitment. To help explain that intersection of culture and physician recruitment, I'm joined in studio by Tony Stadahar, President, Jackson Physician Search, Scott Lindblom, Vice President of Recruiting at Jackson Physician Search, and Kathy Cooperman, President, KC Leadership Consulting. Now we're going to get started with this uh, as we jump into our topic. Our first question, what is culture and why has organizational culture become such an important issue in healthcare today? Well, I'll lead off and my belief in culture is that it really encompasses values, beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors of people within an organization daily, long term, and really helping them understand that the organization they're working for has a clear plan for them and care about them as people and treat them with respect. There's a lot of things that go into culture um, and that's something we have always prided ourselves in as being a great cultural fit for our employees. Now, I believe that's translating into healthcare in, this, in a very similar way. Business is business and healthcare is a business. But at the same time, with all the changes that have come about as, as, as an effect of the ACA many years ago, you're seeing more and more challenges within all healthcare organizations to say, how do we build these things to where people want to work with us, people want to stay and, and be of like mind to go forward and, and carry out a mission and take care of patients. That should be their overall goal. But in order to do that and hire the best quality people and keep people engaged, they have to build that culture and they have to have people believing in them. Yeah, I think um, you know when you look at culture, you know it is really important to make sure that organizations do have a strong, positive culture, um, making sure that all the staff members are engaged um, and they're all driven to the same goal for the organization. With all the influences that are happening to healthcare, with accountable care, um, everyone has to be on the same page to make sure everyone's going to be successful. And from my point of view, working with different organizations and industry, culture really comes down to what's it like to work here day to day in the simplest of terms. So anybody from someone maybe taking care of the custodial duties all the way to medical doctors to medical directors, what's it like to work here and what behaviors are rewarded and which are ignored, which are even punished, and making sure that the executives and everyone else's perspective matches. Tony, our next question is, what are some examples of cultural attributes that healthcare organizations should focus on? In my opinion, not again, this isn't just healthcare, it's business in general and organizations. If you want to have a great business, you need motivated people. And I believe Richard Branson's the one who said, you know, if you have excited, happy people working for you, that your customers are going to be excited. So that's the biggest piece that, that I would uh, suggest to people is just making sure that your people are all acting in the same way, especially in healthcare. Doctors, nurses, everybody within the organization, the, the similar mind of people that I believe healthcare should be focusing on is uh, the whole attitude of others first. Yeah. They're taking care of patients every day. They're trying to make people's lives better. 
And if they're working in a good culture and they're working in the best interest of others, all should be well. Scott, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think one of the, the key factors that I look at for, I guess, a top cultural attribute would be trust within an organization, um, making sure that you know, the physician and the staff trust administration and that trust goes all the way around. Because I think it, it's, it's paramount to have that as a solid foundation in order to grow the organization beyond there. Going beyond that, I think making sure that there's transparent communication within the organization, respectful communication, and patient-centered care. Yeah, and I would say, in my opinion, number one is the behavior of leaders in the organization. That's who people look to, to see if what we espouse to be the culture and what really is, if those things match. And then the second thing I would say is the level of team orientation. So one of my clients was a physician and she complained, well, she was given the gift, and I put that in quotes, of executive coaching because there was this conflict between her and the executive team. And she felt like from the beginning, the fit wasn't right. She didn't feel a valued part of the team. And so that whole team orientation is also very important. The next question looks at data that's already out there. Jackson Healthcare and Gallup have uh, had culture as the focus of studies that they've conducted. Tony, what have these studies told us? What it's told me is there's a difference of opinion many times from leadership of a medical group or of a hospital system versus what the physicians feel is reality. And it's interesting when you ask the group of executives, how do you think this is translating to physicians? And their belief is that the level of happiness of their physicians is really good. And then you ask the physicians the same question, and it's a 20%, 30% lower rate than what the executives think. So obviously there's a disconnect. So the closer those numbers can come together, obviously the better you are. But what we're finding is we're we're in another one of these cyclical times when over 30 years, I've seen about every 10 years where doctors will want to go to work for hospitals, hospitals will buy their practices, and then shortly thereafter, they're saying, yeah, this isn't working so well, so we're going to divest ourselves. Everybody on the hospital side usually loses money. People on the physician side historically have made money off of that transition. But usually the reason it keeps going back and forth is because there's a disconnect. And once they get in that position of working for a facility, the culture doesn't fit the physician. So the challenge right now is if there was ever an opportune time for physicians to fit into this model, this is it. Many physicians are risk adverse, so they're looking at opportunities to get in with hospitals and be employed to say, I don't have to handle the day-to-day business. Yet once they get there, if a hospital or a group doesn't make them feel part of the culture and part of the decision-making process, their feelings are going to be, I'm just a provider. That's what they're calling me now. They're not calling me a doctor. They're not giving me any discretionary decision-making processes. They're not allowing me to oversee anything, so this isn't gonna work for me. I don't even wanna practice medicine anymore. These are some of the pieces of feedback that we're hearing from actual physicians who have already gone into that model and now wanna get out. So we kinda see history repeating itself, but for different reasons. However, I really believe that this is the time when if, if administration and groups or hospitals can come together and figure out how do we integrate these very, very necessary people into our, into our group and our system and our culture, it'll work for everyone. I do believe it will, but they gotta, gotta get that figured out. Sure, Scott, what are your thoughts on this topic? 
you know, we are seeing now in some of the markets where actually uh, departments are actually leaving hospitals and clinics because they, uh, they the, the physicians didn't feel welcome within the organization anymore. They felt like they were being treated lesser than um, to some of the other staff. And, and so really when it talks about culture, making sure the staff's engaged, this is where some systems haven't done as well with it and maybe they haven't adapted to the changing needs of, of physicians. And so you actually have seen these exoduses happen. So I think that we just said we've seen folks come together. We're also seeing them now coming apart, um, trying to seek a better life for themselves. And it is driven around culture. I'm, I'm like a lot of people. I love lists. I love every year I, I see the, the Forbes billionaire list come out. I love the ones about best places to live. The healthcare yeah. industry is, is no different than that. Um, Tony, I want to ask you, why are rankings important when you get into the healthcare world, and, and what are the benefits of participating in those kind of lists? From the hospital side, I would my gut is that today, in today's world, it's a lot different than when I was looking for a doctor 30 years ago or trying to figure out where I wanted my daughters to be born here in Colorado. You just It was kind of word of mouth, and you just do the best you could to figure out where you wanted to go, but today, everything's ranked. You know, every you can look up a physician and find out what they're rated, what the comments are, all those sort of things. So hospitals are no different. People are looking at them as well, and there are rankings of these things. And I believe, as far as I'm concerned, of course, I'd rather take my kid to a hospital that's ranked very highly, especially as it pertains to culture, because if you've got, again, if you've got happy people working in the hospital, they're probably going to take care of my little girl a little bit better, right? So that's, that's just my perception, what I believe. So one of the main topics we're talking about here is cultural fit. What are the challenges of recruiting and retaining physicians and advanced practice providers? I'll let Scott go first on this. He's the yeah, expert. Well, I think one, it is about recruiting for cultural fit, and it is about recruiting for retention. Um, and I think the, the key thing is making sure that everyone's really, really prepared to recruit. Um, and with that is, um, if you want to add a new physician in cardiology, have you talked with all the cardiologists in the department to make sure everyone's on board. Make sure you know the pros and cons and how everyone's feeling um, and to make sure that they're engaged. And I would encourage them to develop a script as well to make sure that everyone knows the role that they're going to play in the interview process. If you have a, a colleague that may not be feeling very positive about recruitment, maybe not have them participate in the process because if the group is behind it and everybody wants to work towards a greater good, at least have those folks um, that are really modeling the culture and behaviors of your clinic that you want to re get repeated make sure that they're able to show that to the candidates that come through. Um, beyond that, there's other things that you can use, such as behavioral assessments um, on candidates. And one way to do that is actually to use that assessment on the staff that you already have on board that's exceptional. So when somebody applies and takes that assessment, then you can identify, do they have those same exceptional traits? Are they more like our successful physicians or more like the ones that aren't successful yet? And I'd love to speak to the part about retention, retaining physicians. I usually get called in as a consultant after the fact, so after the person's been hired. And when conflict rises or um, any kind of fit issue where it just doesn't seem to be working, I get called in usually to work with maybe the president of the hospital or the physicians themselves or a medical director. And one thing, I mean, cultural fit is everything in a case like that, because what happens in the hiring phase, if any party's not being completely transparent, you, you hire this misfit to the culture, and the person very quickly realizes this isn't working. 
And one thing I've seen very often is um, differences, for example, in generations. So sometimes you've got the older physicians who have pretty much given up life over the course of their career. They miss their kids' soccer games, holidays, many things like that. And they were willing to sacrifice that. You get the younger docs coming in and they don't believe that you know you live for work. It's the other way around. So there's almost this instant clash. And then also the, um, or the gender roles comes into play. So if you have a very traditional organization, you get this young female doctor who wants to share new innovative ideas very often you have this clash and all of a sudden this thinking why did I go to medical school if I'm treated like I don't even have any great ideas so those things on the retention becomes critical Tony I want to ask you a question and everyone else can chime in as well but you you traveled over from Atlanta today and and one of the great organizations that that is in Atlanta is Chick-fil-a and mm -hmm. when I think about culture you can travel and, and visit different locations of a Chick-fil-A and there's a certain culture that's been set in there and I think it's a very positive one where you get whether you like the food or not you get tremendous <laughs> customer right. service there it's mm -hmm. just off the charts likewise you can, a culture can get embedded in a place that's very negative and why is it so difficult to change a culture once it's been, it's almost like it's engraved in stone once it's there, and how, how can you overcome that and change it? Well, it is a monumental task to take a business that has not had a great culture to begin with and turn it around. It's very, very difficult in my opinion. Um, it's funny you say that Stuart Cathy, one day after I was back at Jackson Healthcare, about three years I believe, I was walking across one of the walkways in our building and I looked down and who's walking in but Stuart Cathy. And he had come in to have a meeting with Rick Jackson. The two of them had some fairly similar backgrounds. Stuart was quite a bit older than Rick, but they had never met. Mm -hmm. So these two meet and two icons of culture in the industry. But what that tells me and, and what, it, what you have to have to have a good culture, you have to have great leadership who believes in taking care of their people. And when you have when you have that demonstrated time and time and time again, that's how you build the culture. It's, it's multiplicity. It's then hiring those people who believe in it, and then they have discipleship taking it to the next generation and just continues on. So to be able to do that and start where Rick did or where, where Truett did, um, those, that's a lot easier to do when you're starting an organization if you have that belief in the beginning. But once somebody's already in and you've got hundreds of employees, thousands of employees, if that's not there and people feel like a number or there's 50, 60 percent turnover in an organization, who's going to feel safe in that environment? I, at least that's my opinion. To, to do that, the leaders have to invest in their people. They have to believe in what they're doing for them and they have to make them feel important. They have to make them feel what's important to them actually important. And the really, really strong leaders like those two gentlemen, um, they've been able to do that, and, and obviously it's paid off for both of them. Right. But the, the funniest thing is, uh, this is, I digress a little bit, but the funny thing is both of those guys, I can guarantee you, they didn't, they didn't go down that path with a plan that that's what was gonna ultimately make them successful like they are today. It's because that's truly what they believed. Mm -hmm. They were good Christian men who believed in doing the right thing mm -hmm. all the time and putting others first. 
No, I would agree with what Tony said. I think it is, it does come from leadership, right? The leader has to go and meet with the staff members to try to explain what the culture is, why um, the vision is set the way it is, and to make sure that everyone becomes a believer into where they're um, headed organizationally. So the greatest reward that you can get is probably the lowest level position in the organization is for that person to know what the culture is and to be saying the same thing as the leadership. And um, you know, where it gets lost in translation amongst the other ones that maybe don't want to drink the Kool-Aid within the organization and don't, don't believe, that's where things fall apart. Um, and I think that it probably takes just as much energy to have a bad culture as it would take to develop a, a strong culture. And I think with so many things being forced upon us in healthcare, this is actually something that leadership in healthcare actually has a choice in. They can choose to create a very positive culture. So they are you know, in charge of their destiny. And let, just one more add on to that. If you, want, if you want to start that kind of culture and you want to make change, you want to be a, a carrier of change and, and bring this about in your organization, you have to be positive that's where you want to go. You once you start down that path, you can't, you can't waffle. You have to be dedicated, 100% focused on that culture. Because as the old saying goes, you know, every day there's something comes up with the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. So what are you going to do? Are you going to do the right thing every time? The time you don't, somebody's watching and they're going to say, see, I knew that couldn't possibly be that, that good. You know, so that's really not their culture. They're just saying it when it's convenient for them. You have to believe in it. You have to live it every day. And going back to your question, why is it so difficult for some organizations to improve their culture? Number one, just like with an, a leader, an individual leader, you have to be self-aware of your strengths and your weaknesses. Organizations need to be aware of what is their culture. And many, many organizations never formally measure culture. And so that's the first step, but it's so important for people to be able to express how they see working around here. If you go simply, I've seen leaders come in, for example, to a very long-standing traditional organization, and they bring in a new leadership style, and after two years, completely believed the culture had improved. So we went in and did a cultural assessment, and the executive team was shocked that it wasn't where they thought it would be in two years, but you've got hundreds of employees still living the old regime. And so being self-aware, measuring, getting that snapshot in time, and then closing the gap, how, where you wanna be and where you are today is absolutely necessary. If a company or an organization does have a great culture, how are they able to showcase that during the recruitment period? Great question. I'll start with ours. What we've tried to do is to have the leadership of the organization involved in almost every hire when it's possible. When I'm in the office in Atlanta and I can meet with somebody who's going to be a new recruiter or a new business development person or, or even our new marketing associate that we're trying to hire right now, just getting a chance to meet with them and talk to them and let them see that this is who we are. This, when you talk to me, this is kind of who the organization is, and this is the way we feel about people. We love people, we want, to, want them to be successful, and we'll do whatever we can to help them be successful. So I think if they can feel that, the higher up the, the totem pole they can go and hear that from the leadership of the company, I think that's invaluable. I was talking about this earlier today, and 30 years ago, I when I first started, 
CEOs of hospitals were involved in almost every physician interview. Mm -hmm. They would meet with the physician and they would as well go out to the dinner with the physician while they were on site with the physician and their spouse. So the CEO was integrally involved. Now you take somebody who's interviewing two or three different places and they get that sort of treatment from one hospital, they don't get it from the other hospital, what do you what do you think their thought pattern is going to be here? Mm -hmm. And now that's transitioned over the years though, you see less and less of that where CEOs are getting busier, they have other things. But one of my best friends who was one of the CEOs of, of HCA for many years, even as long as he was in administration of the hospitals before he got up to the next level, he was still going to every physician dinner. He was spending time with them, getting to know them. And if I were going to give advice to somebody who's in a hospital the size that they can still do that, don't pass that up. There's nothing more valuable than the leader of the hospital showing their concern, and that tells a lot about what the culture is going to be if they're that, and to make them feel how important they would be to the organization. Yeah, I would agree as well. I think having your engaged staff members participate in the interview process, whether they're physicians, advanced practitioners, administrative folks, understand that you know that there is a care team that maybe the organization has in place, and to ensure that everyone. Uh, can tell about how the culture works for them, what attributes that they like the best, and what leads actually to their high staff satisfaction scores, and they can also show data on their turnover metrics, right? And so if they're really a high-performing organization, um, it'll say in the numbers, as well as with the, uh, the smiles of the folks that are uh, interviewing the candidates. And then a really practical thing, um, just like with people, you meet someone and within the first 30 seconds you form an impression of that person, when that physician walks into the hospital or the building where they're going to have the interview, what do they observe in the first 30 to 60 seconds? How is the person who greets them behaving? And I mean, as a consultant, I've seen so many different organizations, and you can feel it as soon as you walk in the front door. So I guess allowing and training everyone in the organization, what is it we value? What is the philosophy that we promote so that people can feel it, not just hear the words from select individuals, but see it in action from the moment they walk in the front door. We've talked about leading from the top. Um, we've talked about how, Kathy was mentioning, how important it is to have leadership throughout an organization. So when we're talking about medical groups and, and medical practices, what role can someone who is a, a practice leader play in establishing or growing a, a particular culture mm -hmm. in the organization? Yeah, I, w I would say that uh, any, you know, if it's a division chief, a site chief, whatnot, to make sure that they truly are connected with senior leadership, um, maybe non-physician leadership or, or non-practicing um, admin uh, physicians, but making sure that they're all quite well connected on the culture, that everyone truly believes in it, and that they keep sending the same message through. Um, and I think it's, it's their ability as a leader to connect with the different generations within the department um, and how you're gonna connect with those folks best. So we know that the new residents coming out, they might just want an email or a text on something um, to communicate a message. You know, maybe some of the folks that are a little bit more senior, more well-established in the group, they're gonna wanna have a sit-down conversation. But it's really, it is about taking the time for your people in the way that uh, they wanna be communicated with to uh, keep uh, translating that culture to them and then rewarding them for the good behavior, rewarding them for delivering on the promise that you want to give to your patients as well as to your fellow staff members. And I would add to that that practice leader can make sure there's a shared vision 
that everybody at every level could recite if they met him at the front door and said, why do we exist? Why are we here? What does our future look like? No matter, they wouldn't have to look at their badge. <laughs> they wouldn't have to flip through a manual, but they could say in their own words and how what they do fits in with that vision. It's absolutely important to watch also the leaders walk the talk. So you might have slogans on the wall, vision statements and so forth, but do the leaders at every level walk the talk? Yeah, no, I would agree. It is about showing with your actions, um, not just saying the words. But I also think it's, it's for the practice leaders to make the tough decisions and take the tough actions. Um, and what I mean by that is every practice may have a challenging clinician. Um, and maybe that person isn't the right person for the practice. And sometimes the best thing that can happen is to have that person transition out. Mm -hmm. So if that person's displaying really poor behaviors, is being a detriment to your practice, uh, take the initiative to remove them from your practice and everyone will probably have a great deal more respect for who you are and what you're trying to achieve. And the you mentioned earlier, Daniel, I, I truly believe in this, leadership is one thing and I talked about that earlier and that's the top level, but leadership from the bottom up and that leaders have to initiate that too. They have to empower people who are at this level and make them feel part of the process and make them feel that their role is important to the organization and they're just as important as anybody going up the food chain, so to speak. Um, how many times have you ever walked into a, to an office? If you're walking into a doctor's office and you meet the first person at the reception desk, you just think of the impression that person can make on you. Either they're making you feel like, and it's great to see, I hope you're feeling okay, we'll get you in right away. Or they throw a paper at you like this, which you can't see online, uh, but they throw a paper at you, say fill that out and bring it to me and you're done. What? Or if they even look at you at all, right? Absolutely. You know, they wait two minutes before they even make eye contact. Absolutely. Sends a message. And you know, the culture, one of the things that I picked up as a patient one day when you know I was I was a bit younger and I thought, something was wrong with me. Knock on wood, I was wrong. But the I was worried about something that was going on and the doctor came in the office and I was looking at the, looking at uh, their diploma, excuse me, their diploma. Their diploma, they were clearly not from Harvard. They weren't from Stanford. Their diploma was from a school that I would go, hmm, a little worried about that. I, they may not be the best doctor based on what I knew from being a physician recruiter forever, right? And that doctor came in, sat down, said, I've looked at this, here's what it is. And she reached over and put her hand on my wrist and said, it's okay, I got this, you're gonna be all right, we'll take care of you. And there's nothing more important than that personal feel, that personal touch, mm -hmm. and for people to really think that you care and believe that you care. And you can't make that up. You either feel that way or you That's don't. Right. So if you want those kind of people in your organization, you have to try on the recruiting process to find people who are genuine, who can who can come across that way, um, who you believe are going to be that way. I've been fooled. Yeah, I've been fooled by people who seem like they're that way, and I couldn't get them out of the organization quick enough to make people understand that that's not acceptable. So, as a leader, you have to make some of those calls hard. But if you err on the side of the culture and the best thing for the organization, and not that one individual who might be a high performer. You're, then you're going to build trust and faith in, your, uh, in the people under you. Thank you all so much for being here today, and it's been a pleasure learning about organizational culture and physician recruitment. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank, Thank you. you. If you'd like to take a deeper dive on this topic, 
You can hear Tony and Kathy speak at the MGMA Annual Conference in Boston on Tuesday, October 2nd from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Tony and Kathy will be joined by Dr. Stu Watson, an MD and Vice President of Clinical at Ascension Medical Group, Wisconsin, Northern Region. To learn more about the MGMA Annual Conference, go to mgma.com forward slash events. I'm Daniel Williams. Thanks again for listening to the MGMA Podcast.